episode 128 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Chowen. And joining me tonight are my two co-hosts. We have Mark Nadeau and Ash Collins. Mark, how's everything going for you this evening? Good. It's been a long day. What a way to end the day with a podcast on horror movies. Absolutely. And how about you, Ash? How's everything going for you this evening? I see I'm still second billing. That's fine. Other than that, everything's going great. <laughs> oh, nothing's going to change. <laughs> Mark's threatened me with my life if uh, if I've changed anything, so I'm just rolling with it at this point. Hey, you know what? I live closer to you. so That's yeah. true. That is true. It, it wasn't your life. It's a life of your friends and family. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. I mix that up sometimes. That's okay. Mark, Mark, how is your vehicle? Uh, it's in the shop right now. I actually gave him a call. Uh, I actually got into a uh, car accident on Friday. Uh, oh, geez. Somebody decided to go through a solid red light and hit me in an intersection. Uh, Crazy, man. Yeah. So uh, I spoke with the auto body shop today, $4,000 worth of damage. So the car oh. is not a write off. Oh, dear so, God. So, yeah, on that, yeah. Um, so, police report is all filled out and uh, should be getting my car next week back. Uh, the insurance company decided to go ahead with the um, with the repairs. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so, this guy, I was second in line to uh, cross a green light. And mm-hmm. uh, while traversing, I see, according to my eye, a white uh, Elantra, a Santa Fe. And so I hit the brakes. I honk. The guy kind of, kind of hits me like he's skipping a stone on on water. So he kind of glances off my front end, and okay. uh, stops the car, which is good because he probably would have crashed right into a pedestrian crossing the street. So, jeez, yeah. So now I'm driving a uh, neon, or pardon me, a, a Nissan Rogue, which is a bit bigger than what I'm used to. So, do you like it though? Is that a nice car? I, I do like it, but you know, since okay. it's not your car, I'm kind yeah. of a little like apprehensive driving it, you know? Right. Uh, right. But I better get used to it because Friday or Saturday morning at six o'clock, we're heading to London, Ontario for a shock stock. So, uh, which Very is good. a Canadian, I guess, cinema wasteland. Um, okay. It's my first time going. I'm just going for the day with uh, two other buddies, uh, Eddie Spaghetti and my buddy Tony Barnes from the band uh, In Heat. So, should be a good time. I'm gonna, I am got a few posts I'm going to get signed and uh, hopefully drink a few beers and buy a few tapes. So, yeah, I'm very excited. Hell yeah. That sounds like a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and I'm so. glad I'm glad you're okay and uh, here with us to record this week because that, that's scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're all safe and sound. Like, you know, the airbags didn't deploy, um, but I was livid at this guy because, you know, we pull over mm-hmm. to the side of the road and I'm like, you know what you just did, right? And he looks down and wouldn't you know, uh, comment on it. So, hmm. yeah, I, I'm pretty pissed off. But uh, the pa- uh, the pedestrian that he almost hit tore a strip off of him uh, when uh, she walked to where we were congregating. So, yeah, I'm excited to hear what the cops say. Uh, hmm. Again, from my police reports, uh, it's it's pretty you know obvious who's at fault. Right. And, uh, right. and even my insurance company waived my deductible, so technically it's not costing me anything. That's good. Uh, it's just a pain in the butt to go through that. And it really ruined my weekend. Like that was the evening of my first day off. I was off at six o'clock that morning. I mm. cleaned the house and I was driving uh, Melissa to a burlesque show because she and her troop were doing a burlesque festival in Ottawa. 
Mm-hmm. So off the drop her off, I was going to go back home to watch the hockey game because the Jets were still playing their first round at the time. And uh, yeah, you know, I was supposed to go to a convention on Saturday to meet uh, Ariel Lerman, uh, the first Jason from Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have a car till Sunday, so that got canceled. And it just put me in a foul mood altogether. So yeah, yeah, kind of sucked. But you know, what can you do? What's done is done right. and everybody's safe and sound. But that's what's the most important thing. Yeah. And uh in better news, the uh the Jets lit it up that evening and uh Heck yeah, they advanced. Did. So <laughs> Yeah, game 1 against Nashville is on Friday, uh which by the time this podcast gets released, they should be two games into the series already. So hopefully they're two uh, up two and yeah. they can sweep the series. So it'll probably be the uh strongest Probably the best series of the playoffs. <laughs> it has a chance to be at least one of the best playoff series of the whole playoffs. So could be. Uh, I still think Vancouver, probably uh, Vegas and San Jose will be a good series. And uh, yeah. every time the Pens play the Caps, it's a great series as well. So I think the only stinker might be um, whoever Tampa Bay plays, just because mm-hmm. I don't like Boston and yeah. uh, Toronto. They're Canadian, but uh, you know. I like Toronto, Toronto a little bit just because uh, they have Babs, and so I appreciate that. And my my uh, dad's buddy is a big Maple Leafs fan, so I always fair enough. About it, but, but they also have yeah. Kadri, so that takes them down a few knocks too. <laughs> Not a fan of I that really, guy. No, I really like. Uh, oh, jeez, Matt. Uh, what the fuck's his name? The Matt? the young guy, Austin Matthews. Matthews, Jesus, yes, thank you. Yeah, he's okay. I like him, but. Excellent. I'm excited for the uh, Vegas and uh, Jets. Western Conference finale. That's what I want to see, damn it. Uh, well, at least there'll be a conference uh, finale. Uh, right, right. Yeah, so who knows? We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. So before we dive into today, because we are uh, continuing through our, our as, as Mark called it, our spending time with Norman Ark or our <laughs> complete psycho arc with a review of the sequel to the masterpiece, Psycho 2 from 1983. Before that, though, let's talk about how you can find us on social media. You can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And you can email us at contact at cinefessions.com. And you can also leave us a voicemail if you want to be part of an upcoming show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's 1-302-448-8255. You can also check out our long list of past reviews and all 128 podcast episodes right on over at cinefessions.com. Also, if you're a fan of the show, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. Those iTunes reviews are huge to helping us grow. So we really appreciate you taking the time to support us there. And also, if you do like what we're doing here every week, please let your friends know about us. The more people that know about us, the more people that can listen to us. And that is always the goal to grow that listenership. So thank you for leaving those reviews and telling your friends about the show. Uh, However you decide to help support us, we always appreciate it. All right, Ash, what have you been doing this past week in media? Uh, well, first off, I have to say that we bought a new toy for my wife. Uh, oh. Yeah. Vibrators aside. Not, uh, <laughs> That's where I went right off the bat. I want to see anything. Well, yeah. uh, we bought those last week, so I didn't include those. Uh, but uh, no, we got a, a Surface Pro. Um and uh, just from what we've been able to to do with it, you know, the last couple of days, it's uh, I'm looking forward to getting one for myself so I can actually like get back to like doing art and stuff with that. So, oh, very it, cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, 
Uh, the it was one of the ones that's only it was the one of the cheaper models, but you no, know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's nice. I have to I'll give Microsoft props for that. The Surface is a a nice, very nice tablet. Uh, so that you know, bonus there for there. Um, yeah, definitely, that's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, I picked up uh, Justice League this past week. I uh, hadn't seen it yet, and finally sat down and watched it, and okay, loved it. I thought it was great. Um, awesome! Yay, me too. I loved it too. The, the only the only complaint I have is that I really wish that they'd maybe shot Henry Cavill a little differently during the reshoots, so that you know <laughs> maybe the uh, CGI overlay for his face for the mustache was a little less obvious. Or maybe if they'd actually just completely CGI'd his face instead of just his mouth, it would have worked a little better. I don't know. But, you know, honestly, I didn't even notice it. Otherwise, I thought, you know, it was a fun romp. It was definitely lighter. I thought it was lighter in tone, kind of like, you know, Wonder Woman. It wasn't so obsessed Mm -hmm. with we must be dark and grim. Um, And uh, I thought it was, you know, it was a fun romp. So I, I appreciated that. Uh, I I love the Flash. I thought they nailed Cyborg. Fantastic was was great. Um, Aquaman was definitely a highlight. Just him giving Bruce shit was great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Oh, and and Wonder Woman of course was awesome in it. Um, but yeah, yeah and, and it was just it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, and so. it's funny you mentioned that because I actually just so this past week I was like, damn, I want to buy some of these movies I haven't bought. And so I was looking to get uh, Justice League on 4K, but it's like 30 bucks. So I was like, fuck that. Like, it's not, I'm not doing it. But anyway, I went on to this uh, like Google Hangouts area where people that purchase the movies like sell their digital copies. And so I ended up buying the Justice League digital copy for like $8. And um, I, I didn't rewatch the whole thing, but I put it on. It looks fucking amazing in 4K, even streaming. It looks fucking just incredible. And so I, we watched like uh, the first little bit of it again and- I really liked it when I saw it in theaters. I loved it a lot. So I'm excited to actually watch the whole thing again. Yeah, it, it was fun. It was definitely worth worth picking that one up. Um, so that's one less out of my DCs that uh, DCEU that I need to pick up. So right. Bonus there. Um, finished uh, Lost in Space. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, holy crap. That was a great ending. Uh, it, 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 it is a cliffhanger, just like every fucking episode of the original series and the, and the, uh, 90s reboot film, you know, so, so if you're expecting, you know, an, 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 an actual, I mean, it, as far as the story goes for this season, yes, it's an ending, you know, so they have like a really complete story, but there is a cliffhanger that will lead into the next season. Just like, you know, they always did with the TV show in the 60s. So I'm mm. I'm perfectly cool with that. Uh, it was a fun romp. Um, there was, I think, and I have the same complaint. Uh, I, I, it makes for a great villain, but at the same time, the character just seems almost irredeemable. Uh, and that is uh, the Dr. Smith portrayal. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> uh they they cast I think Parker Posey for Doctor Smith in this, and she is fucking fantastic in the role. But at the same time, it's just like wow, you are fucking despicable. Oh hmm. my god, uh, I love her. 
yeah and 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 it, it i don't know it there's it, there was always something kind of redeemable about smith a little bit even when gary oldman was playing smith uh in, in the in the in the, in the reboot film and especially in the 60s show but here it's just i don't know i think they went a little too far with it but I mean, mm. at the same time, I like the character. It's it's a she's a great foil for everything going on. Uh, so you know, despite everything else that's going on, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but uh, no, I, I definitely, if you love the original series or if you just like a good sci-fi adventure series, you know, check out Lost in Space. So and then awesome, um, yeah. My coworker watched that one also, and she really liked it. So I, I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, and then um. Uh, we're most of the way through season four of Supernatural on that rewatch. So, okay, very that's all, good. That's, that's well, it for me. Yeah, that's a fun week. Excellent. Yeah, myself. So, um, I got a, a little bit to talk about this week. So, first, I'll just knock this one out of the way. I watched. I continued through my ninety-seven WCW. I watched World War Three from nineteen ninety-seven. I gave it a C plus. Nothing worth really mentioning there. Uh, typical NWO WCW ending. Yeah, it's kind of kind of blah, but I'm I'm making my way through Starcade now just because World War Three always acted as like the WCW's equivalent of the Royal Rumble, where you have like the three rings, sixty men, and the winner gets a shot at the champion at Starcade, and so Starcade is like the WrestleMania, blah blah blah. So yeah, so I'm watching through that, and I'm at the main event, but I've not finished that one yet, so I haven't uh, hadn't haven't added that to my list. But aside from that, I um. What should I talk about next? So I did some reading and I watched some movies. So let's talk about the uh, graphic novels that I read. So I was looking through, uh, like I mentioned last week, I kind of felt like the comic book phase of my uh, interest was coming back, you know, how I go through cycles. And so I've been, I was reading on some like comic book forums and whatnot, and I found there was this deal going on on Comixology that gave you 60% off alt uh, digital titles from Image. And so I was like, damn, that's a really good deal. And so I started looking. I had a whole bunch of them in my cart. Um, and as I was looking at that, I also uh, like came across this um, Comixology Unlimited trial. And it was for 30 days because I had Amazon Prime. And so I signed up for that. And I've read a few things off of that. Um and so with the unlimited, I ended up reading um, something called A Voice in the Dark. Uh, it's actually, there's only, it's only two two issues. The first issue is available on the unlimited. The second issue you have to pay for, um, which I don't know if I'm going to finish it or not. Um, so basically what this one is about is this girl is going off to college, but it starts off, she says, like the opening line is like, it's been 73 days or something since I last killed somebody. And so basically it's like this, budding serial killer and she's trying to she's only killed one person so she's not a serial killer technically yet but that's kind of where her future looks like she's going and so she's trying to like fight herself this like inner demon that wants to continue to kill as she is trying to take this new like radio job at her new college that she's going to um it's a super diverse graphic novel there you know just uh, like the the mom is is a white woman, the dad's a black man, the um the the uncle's a gay man. Like it's just a very diverse comic book, so I like that aspect of it. Um, but the story itself was really slow moving and a very text heavy, which you don't really get a lot nowadays in comic books, um in in the graphic novels. And so I don't know, oh, it was all you right. Had to read. 
Well, that's not why I didn't like it. It just was very slow moving. If the text was quicker, quick, more quickly paced, it would have been more interesting. But in this instance, it it wasn't. And so I, I gave it that one two and a half stars out of four. I thought it was, it was decent, but I don't know if I'll end up buying the second issue and finishing it off or not. Um, aside from that one on Unlimited, I also read, I uh, started reading th- the 28 Days Later graphic novel series. I um, actually read the first two volumes of that. So the first eight issues of that. Um, and it, as you work your way through it, so it's basically it takes place right after the events of the first film, 28 Days Later, the film. And um, I don't remember the the main woman's name, but uh, she basically is dragged back into like the quarantine zone uh, with this group of journalists that are, I don't know exactly what they're trying to do, but they're basically trying to figure out what the hell is going on and who's to blame for this uh, whole event. And so I, if you don't know what 28 Days Later is, that's, uh, that's like the uh, zombie film, quote unquote zombie film. It's like an infection film. I don't know if it's really considered zombies or not, but um they basically are zombies. They are just very fast and so not traditional zombies. But um, it feels very Walking Dead for better or worse. Um, it just it feels kind of mediocre. Uh, like I'll read one issue and think, man, that wasn't very good. And then I'll read the next issue. And I'm like, well, that was a little bit better. And then it gets maybe the same. And then it's like, oh, that was kind of not very good again. And so it's been very down, like middle of the road for me. So I, I gave both volumes two stars. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to finish that series or not. It's only six volumes in total and all six happen to be available on Comixology Unlimited. But uh, I don't know. I, I think I liked the second volume a little bit better than the first, but it still wasn't great. And with all the other shit I want to read on Unlimited in my 30 days that I have for this free trial, I think I'm going to move on to something else. But not terrible, not great. If you like The Walking Dead, you probably will enjoy it. But again, it's kind of slower moving um, and not a whole hell of a lot of zombie action. So take that for what you will. And then the other one I read was actually one that I bought, I don't know how long ago, maybe a month, two months ago. It was on sale for 99 cents on Amazon. Um, and it is Black Bolt, Black Bolt Volume 1, Hard Time. Uh, this is a, a Marvel Universe uh, comic. And it was fantastic. I actually wrote a kind of short review on it on our Instagram. So if you want kind of more detailed thoughts on it, definitely follow us on Instagram and you'll be able to see that there. But long story short, it has arguably the greatest art I've ever seen in a graphic novel. Like it is beautiful. Um, the the coloring is just fucking amazing. It has like this neon coloring mixed with just so much detail in in the panels. Like it is gorgeous. I, I gave this one four stars. I think it's worth reading just for the art alone, but the story is actually very, very strong also. Um, it was, it, it kind of sets itself up to be this kind of stereotypical, uh, this stereotypical thing, but it's much more than that. Um, I knew nothing of Black Bolt coming into it, but I definitely want to check out more of his stuff. And um, volume two comes out in, I think it was June or July. And so I'm definitely picking that up because I definitely want to, you know, continue on this story. But I mean, the first volume is definitely um, uh, like 
self-contained. Like you can read that without having to read anything else. But because I know there's more, I definitely want to check out more because it was it was so fucking good. So I highly recommend that one. That's Black Bolt Volume One. Uh, I gave that one four stars. So definitely a good one. Um, and then speaking of Comicsology and that sale, so I had like a dozen graphic novel volumes in my cart, but I ended up cutting it down to five. So, um, like I said, this was a sale that was given 60% off image titles. Uh, and there's so many just really good options for image titles, but some of them I'm actually, I'm collecting in, um, like physical form. So I didn't want to buy them through, uh, this sale, but these ones I didn't carry the way. So I grabbed these ones. Um, first I grabbed was the bulletproof coffin volume one. I can't really remember what the, uh, what the story is about, but there was a time way back when, when I was in grad school, I was buying like single issues of comic books. And I actually ended up buying a couple issues of these and really loved the art style. And so um, I figured I wanted to conclude the story, figure out what the hell this was about again, because I love the art style so much. So I want to see how I thought of it, what I thought of it now. The next one I grabbed was Paper Girls Volume 1. Um, so basically, I hear that this one is kind of the female version of Stranger Things, but better. So... Um, I've been wanting to read this one for a long time and, uh, I just did volume one because if I like it, then I want to go the deluxe hardcover uh, route with these, which has like the first three volumes. And so I just wanted to try it out, see if I liked it. Cause I've heard it's great. Uh, the next one I grabbed was sex volume one, which is about a superhero who's retired. And now he's basically just trying to live life like a normal civilian. Um, and apparently there's a lot of sex in it. So I don't know. Sounds interesting to me. So I grabbed that one. Uh, the Beauty Volume 1, which is about an STD that makes uh, those infected, like, beautiful, but then it kills them. And so that one just sounded interesting to me. And then the last one was actually, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the last one is actually not Image, but it was the new sale that started a couple days ago It from Dark Horse. And this is Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Aliens. Oh, dear God. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, it's going to be fucking great. I did like the see what's inside thing on Comixology and you could see some of the pages and the artwork artwork looks awesome. And I mean, it's fucking three things that I absolutely love. And so I'm really excited to check this one out. So I grabbed those five Um, and I ended up spending about 13 bucks or two dollars and 61 cents on average for each volume. Like that's that's a really fucking good deal. So I'm excited for these five. I cut that down probably about into a third of what I had uh, because I had a bunch of other ones, but I decided, you know what? Like I've been doing really, really well with my spending this year. And so I wanted to keep it as low as I could. And so that's what I did here. Um, Other than that, I did spend some more of my disc replay funds and uh, finished up my NCAA football collection. So I grabbed uh, from like PS2 era on. So I grabbed NCAA football 2002 and 2003 for PS2 and then... 09 and 10 for PS3. And then I grabbed NBA 08, 2K11 and 2K12 and PS3. My list though failed me while I was at the store because obviously I have all my sports games listed. So I know what I have and what I don't because I have such a stupid large collection of old sports games. And I'm trying to, you know, just kind of fill that up. So apparently I thought I had NBA 2K11 just digitally, but then I got home and I realized, oh, no, Pierce, two copies of it on disc so i was like oh i fucked that up and i can't return to disc replay they don't do returns unless it's defective but then they just give you a copy of the same game so yada 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 so yeah um but 
it wasn't a big deal because that was actually like NBA 08, I think it was, and NBA 2K11 were buy one, get one free. And they were like $1.99 each. And I literally through like the hundreds of games around that rack, which a lot of them were old sports games, there was not any other one that I didn't have. So that was $1.99. And so I, I got the game for free. So it's not a big deal. And I couldn't have found anything else anyway. Uh, at one point, I was just going to not get something else because I couldn't find anything. But then I found that at the last second. So not a big deal that I already had it. But I, uh, but it basically what it did was cause me to spend an extra hour or two this weekend to go through and fix my list. So now it's perfect again. And so hopefully that won't happen to me again in the future. But my uh, my OCD comes into play with that, with that stupid list. But that's all right. And then... Last but not least, I watched some movies. So uh, two that I won't really talk about because they're just like family films. I watched um, An American Tale, Fievel, not Fievel Goes West, but the first one. Um, and that's a good film. I've not seen – it's a Don Bluth animated film. Um, I've not seen that since I was super young. came out in 86, the year I was born, and I watched it when I was way young, but I've not seen it since. I remember really liking Fievel Goes West. But I don't really remember American Tale that much. But Bridget and I watched it just as we were like getting ready to go to sleep or whatever. Um, but I ended up staying awake for the whole thing. Shockingly. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I saw it in theaters. Exactly. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. Excellent. It's a night. <laughs> Oh, man. Aside from what you might believe by listening to Ash, it's actually a very good movie. But <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, I, I actually do like American Tale. I, I thought it was a great movie. It has some great lines. But mm-hmm. I hate that song for the simple reason I was in chorus in grade school when this came out. And every mm. fucking year until like from fourth grade up to like eighth fucking grade, we sang that every fucking year it's like you know what there are other songs out there people anyway sorry rant over <laughs> no i i can i can understand that for sure absolutely but yeah and then uh the other one i watched was chicken run from 2000 which is like like a claymation stop motion uh film and i remember seeing this one in theaters with my family and really liked it and i just i don't know why it was on netflix both these were on netflix and so i decided i wanted to check it out again and it's it's just a funny movie. I, I really like it. I think the uh, the stop motion on it's really impressive, and uh, the story is just fun. Very you know, kind of uh, predictable, but it's it's a fun movie. So I gave both of those three stars. I enjoyed both of those. And then the <clears throat> the last one uh, is a film that I've been wanting to watch for such a long time. Ever I remember when it came out um, when I was working at Family Video, and I like. Don't I wanted to rent it so many times, but I never did for whatever reason. Um, but it's uh, 2011's The Gray. Have you guys seen this one? Yeah, that is fantastic. Like the the whole story. So uh, the great basically, this guy and his like team of what are they oil guys of some sort? They like dig for oil. I don't know what they call them. Their their plane goes down in. Um, uh, Alaska, I believe. And uh, basically they're left to, there's nothing around. So they're trying to fight for their survival. And kind of like the uh, the the bad guy of the film are these wolves. And uh, they're like following them as they're trying to get out. Like it is, it is a v- fascinating survival tale that was a lot, I want to say like a lot deeper and a lot smarter than I expected it to be. And 
no spoilers on it, obviously, but as it went on, it just kind of uh, hit me in ways I wasn't expecting at all. Um, and I loved it. Like I highly, highly recommend it. And the ending is just like, really? Like, ah, it's crazy. Obviously, I'm not going to talk any spoilers or anything, but I loved this one. Mark, did what did you think of The Grey when you watched it? Um, for some reason, I really took a while to watch it, not as long as you did. But uh, just the fact that it's like wolves hunting people down. And it was a nature film. I was like, eh, I'm not interested. But as soon as I sat on to actually watch it, I mm-hmm. loved it. Um, oh, yeah, I'm a big good. fan of Frank Grillo. I love Liam Neeson. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was brutal. I loved it. Yeah, it really was. Ash, have you seen this one? Yeah, and I only vaguely remember it. Um, okay. I remember being very disappointed that we didn't get to see a Liam Neeson tear all those holes apart. Because, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, he was on his action movie kick at that point. So I was just like, yeah, fuck him up, dude. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I thought the it was really well shot. It was just... I remember being really fucking depressed by the end of it. <laughs> so I mean, that was pretty much my takeaway. It's like, wow, depressing. Yeah. Those are cool, but depressing. Absolutely. But yeah, highly recommend it. If you guys have not seen that one for whatever reason, if you get a chance to, definitely check it out. It was awesome. I actually had a, because I went to work to family video, um, you could, like, when I first started there, you could still take, like, the digital codes for all the movies, the Blu-rays we got. And so I used to ha- get so many codes and Ash, I used to give you and 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 Chris them, um, and that's how I have it because I had it on Vudu, and I was like, oh shit, I forgot I had this, and so that's how I ended up watching it was right on Vudu. But yeah, awesome movie, I I loved it, and man, it's so good, so good. So yeah, so that was that was my week. It did a little more than usual, but that's because we had a little more time than usual this past week. So that's mine. What about you, Mark? Um, well, I'm on a Nintendo website right now because I bought a few Nintendo games off the Switch digital store. I just can't remember what they all were. Um, oh, okay. I did pick up Tesla versus oh, some. I don't have my Switch in front of me. I should have been better prepared. Uh, so I bought that Tesla versus game. So I think it's Tesla versus zombies. I was going to say, I, I think it's like zombies or vampires or something supernatural. Yeah. So I bought that. I bought Lovecraft. Uh, oh, I also bought ah shit something uh, the Str- Streets of Red, which is a like a beat 'em up side scroller, but it's horror infused. Infused. Um, okay. So I guess it's got a lot of horror movie tropes to it. Um, I've yet to play them just because I'm still playing um, uh, Darkest Dungeon. Darkest. Yeah. And I refuse to play more than one game at a time. But you know what? We're almost in May, and I still haven't played Mario Odyssey yet. So oh, you need to. I feel like I got to start doing something. Um, video games have been a bit on the back burner just because I've been watching uh, a lot of wrestling and stuff. But uh, video game wise, I'm still playing Darkest Dungeon. I'm still playing um, Burnout Paradise. Um, I did buy Carmageddon for the PS4. Yeah, you yeah. talked about that one last week. Oh, did I already? You didn't oh, well, like it. Uh, yeah. update on that. Uh, I've deleted the game off my machine. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh man, that's new. It, it was um, Tesla versus Lovecraft, just to to set that record correct. Ah, uh, Tesla versus Lovecraft. Okay, um, yeah. So I, I bought that. Uh, it's still new, and I actually I loaded up my Switch with some cash because I wanted to also buy a Death Road to Canada 
Oh, but okay. uh, because of the tragedy in Toronto from a few days ago, the publisher decided to hold off on um, releasing the game. Oh, because those who okay. don't know, which by now I'm sure everybody does, but um, some uh, fucking uh, lunatic uh, rented a van and then plowed down some people. So uh, the publishers of Death Road to Canada, which I guess uh, that is involved in the game where you plow down some zombies, decided oh. at this time it was not sensibly or uh, it, it's a sensitive issue, sensitive matter, decided to hold off on publishing or releasing the game on the consoles. It's already out for the computer and for, I think, uh, mobile. But um, I wanted to get it for my Switch. And uh, now that's uh, on the back burner. I'm not sure when they are going to release that game. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that kind of sucks. Um, it's, and it's a tragic situation in Toronto as well. You know, it's senseless mm-hmm. and I just don't get it. But, anyways, we're not a news uh, podcast, so I'll move on. Um so that was video games. Uh, as for wrestling, I'm still going through a New Japan Pro Wrestling's uh, on-demand uh, service. Um, so I watched actually quite a bit um, from WrestleMania weekend. Uh, New Japan was, uh, they had some people, um, I guess, doing uh, fan conventions and other wrestling cards. So Revolution Pro, which is a UK promotion, had a show there, and they had some uh, New Japan guys on it. So I watched uh, those matches. I watched the New Japan matches from Supercard of Honor, the Ring of Honor card, where the main event was Cody Rhodes versus Kenny Omega in a phenomenal 40-minute match. Loved it. Nice. It was really good. It's worth checking out. Um, then I watched the Lionsgate Project 11. So in New Japan, all the trainees... You know, they live in the dojo. Uh, they're known as um, new lions. So they're training, they're breathing, they're living wrestling. They set up their ring. They do ringside stuff. Um, in these New Japan shows, I guess, to warm up the crowd, these uh, young lions will wrestle. Now, all the guys have the same theme music. They have mm. the same black trunks and black shooter boots. Um, so it's all about skill. It's not about gimmicks. Um, so it was kind of boring because uh, this event had no commentary, not even Japanese commentary. So I don't know who the fuck it was sometimes, um, just because when they wrestled, so, so you got the young lions and then you've got the veterans, but like the older veterans that maybe can't move as fast anymore, like Tiger Mask, who, you know, he's not in the greatest shape, um, the booker of New Japan, Jedo, he wrestled on it. So it's like guys that can't really go as fast as today's indie guys go right now. I guess they're helping the long lines with like matches on TV, give them some opportunities. So as for a card with all mostly all the same theme music and all the same look and no commentary, not even Japanese, it, it was kind of boring. I'll be honest hmm. with you. It was it was short. It was only 90 minutes long. But uh, I guess it happens about once a month. I won't be watching any of those again just because there's so much to watch. I got to, you know, pick and choose. Um, right. But then I guess the next tour with New Japan, it's uh, the uh, Road to Don Taku, which is, I guess, their big event at the – at I guess it's early May. Um, so now there's about six or seven uh, events 
on New Japan World uh, that they're coming up to, which is pretty much like their Raws and our Smackdowns leading up to um, the big pay-per-view. But it's all wrestling. There's very little promo. There's a lot of backstage promos that you can watch after with subtitles. Um, the wrestling is awesome. I just watched, if I click on this, I hope it doesn't play, but I just watched the episode from the 13th of April. I'm now, I just started the 14th of April. They're about two and a half hours long. The main event was a special elimination match. So it was five on five, or you can get pinned, submitted, or thrown over the top rope like a battle royale. That's how you get eliminated. That's cool. I thought it was kind of fun. So you had all your big guys. So the main event was uh, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Juice Robinson, which used to be Moonchild in NXT. Uh, David Finley, who is uh, Fit Finley's son. Nice. Uh, Michael Elgin, a uh, big Haas Canadian boy. And Kushida. And Kushida's gimmick is a Back to the Future gimmick, where he's <laughs> like Marty McFly. He's a time splitter. So oh. so he comes out to like, he's got like Back to the Future gear. It's pretty cool. So those five guys uh, wrestled uh, Okada, which is the New Japan Pro Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. Uh, Hiroki Goto and Jay White, who's the US Champion. Uh, Yoshihashi and Will Ospreay, who's the Junior Lightweight Champion. And fuck, it was awesome. It was, I think, about 51 minutes long, including, okay. uh, you know, promo at the end. And uh, it went by so fast. It was really fucking good. So, anyways, I'm I'm watching every match right now because I'm trying to get a feel for the roster because mm-hmm. I'm brand spanking new at this and I'm trying to learn the names. Um, so it's it's really good. I'm enjoying this wrestling. Um, I know we're talking about a lot of wrestling on this podcast, so I'll, I'll make it brief here. But uh, so far, like I've had this for maybe what three weeks now, pretty much since WrestleMania, and okay. uh, I've loved it. Even the matches that don't have English commentary but Japanese commentary, you're still getting their excitement, mm-hmm. you know, as they're uh, doing the play-by-play and the color commentary. So um, again, I think it's cool. It's different. Um, if you're a fan of wrestling in general, you're gonna love this. I think the product is really good. So. That's what I did. Uh, so I watched a lot of wrestling on uh, our days since our last podcast. Uh, but let's switch to movies. Um, I went to the movies twice so I could uh, take care of my three uh, films for um, for my uh, uh, oh, fuck. What's it called? That movie pass that I have. Yeah. Uh, cinema. S i n e i m a. So cinema. Um, so I've watched two. I still have to go see one more before the end of the month. Plan on to go see um, um, Rampage tomorrow. So okay. uh, if all goes well, I'm going to go see Rampage. But I did go see Ready Player One. Excellent. In, in uh, 3D. I didn't go see the IMAX. I just saw the 3D just because there's only one listing uh, for IMAX 3D uh, at this point because it's been a few weeks in the theaters now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was okay. Um, I had read the book. I thought the book was utter garbage because it's nothing but... Like, I like nostalgia, pop culture references, but when the whole book is one and it's like one on top of another on top of another, it feels forced. And after a while, you get bogged down by it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Myself, I got the references because I grew up in this era. But, you know, somebody who's 16 years old, they're reading the book. They don't know what the fuck that guy's talking about. So, I find the story is better in a film medium, in a visual okay. medium, than in a book form. 
Um, I still think the film is a bit of a mess. Um, the geek talk in this film makes me want to like turn inside out. It's so cringy sometimes. Like how mm-hmm. uh, the guy, uh, his name in the movie is uh, Parzival or Wade. The way he talks to Samantha and trying to woo her with all this geek stuff. I- I'm sure people do speak like this um, in the various realms of geekdom. But as a 39-year-old man, uh, it's it's kind of it's, it's douchey. It's cringe-inducing. Um, it, it's pretty bad. That said, this film is 75% uh, computer-generated animation. So it's more of a of an animated film than it is a live action film. I would say it's like 75, 25. It's well done. I have to admit, it's really well done. They've made some changes to the film from the book, especially when um, they're going for the second key to unlock the Oasis. I don't want to ruin it. It's fucking awesome. Good. Uh, Yeah. uh, It wasn't like it was in the book. So I'm watching this. I'm like, holy fuck, this is kind of cool. When you watch it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but I don't want to ruin anything for those who don't know, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. say it. But okay. uh, I, I did get a, uh, uh, a giddiness when whatever happened, happened. So um, if you do see Ready Player One, uh, let me know and we can talk about it because uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Awesome. Okay, wait, wait. So there was this uh, internet thing going around where it was comparing Ready Player One and Spy Kids 3. And the, basically, the plot for Ready Player One is exactly the same as Spy Kids 3. Oh, I have I'm, never seen the Spy Kids I was going to say, I'm guessing Mark probably never saw Spy Kids 3. But that's yeah. interesting. I wonder if that's true. Yeah. It, the, the basic plot apparently is, like, identical. I was just – I was huh. highly amused with that. Oh, it's not original in the least. Like, yeah. honestly, like, I can't believe Spielberg actually filmed this. Hmm. It, it doesn't feel like a Spielberg film. I think – him helming it probably helped it in its uh, end product, but yeah. I still don't think it's that great of a movie. Am I going to buy it? Probably because of course. there's a lot of yeah. Easter eggs that I probably missed, you know, in the big fight scenes. Um, it had some cool moments, but it had a lot of douche moments as well. Sp- speaking of bad moments, I also actually, I saw this yesterday. I went to see Truth or Dare. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Bloomhouse. I think they can do no wrong. Then I saw Truth or Dare. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking horrendous. It's oh, really man. bad. It's it's PG-13. Um, it could have been PG. Like, Oh, really? The coolest death scene is in the trailer. The rest, mm. it's, it's limp. It's just not good. I was very disappointed with it. Um, you know, I, I went inside or I went in to see it without any um, expectations. But yeah. no expectations was not even met. It, it was horrendous so hmm. that's so you're gonna blemish. buy that one when it hits blu-ray no no I, I can say, <laughs> unless it gets it to me i will not buy this on blu-ray oh, or 4k because i've started buying myself in 4k now for the yeah. eventual jump to 4k tvs i know that's um, the thing that's when i was looking it's like i could get all the movies i wanted because basically i need like justice league i need uh thor I needed – I wanted the new Jumanji uh, just because I know Bridget would love that. Uh, I think there's one other one. And it's like I was – I want them all in 4K. But like I could get them all on Blu-ray, but it like – and it would have been like 10 bucks cheaper each. But yeah. it's like I what, I don't want that now. Like I want it on 4K because then it comes yeah. with the Blu-ray disc anyway, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, ugh. 
but it's just 4K is still at the super expensive price point it is now. So yeah, just not, wait not for those to deals. me. Yeah, not to me because my nice Russian buddy. Right, you're um, Russian. I'm getting friend, everything yes. for twenty twenty two bucks. So right, I'm yeah. and like what I could do to offset my costs is I I could sell you know the Blu-ray eventually when I get the 4K, but I, I need the full package. So yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not gonna separate it, but. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so those are the two movies that's on theaters. Uh, awesome. Because I went to Shockstock at uh, the end of the week here, and there's uh, a few uh, Friday the Thirteenth guests that are going to be there. Um, so I watched uh, Friday the Thirteenth uh, Part Seven, The New mm-hmm. Blood from 1988, uh, because uh, Laura Park Lincoln, the lead uh, Tina Shepard, is going to be there, and I've got a uh, New Blood poster. So I'm going to get her to sign that. Uh, Kane Hodder is also going to be there. So I'll get him to sign that as well. So I'm very excited. And plus the poster is pretty cool. Um, so this takes place after Tommy Jarvis. So in five, it's um, it's uh, Corey Haim. Mm-hmm. Is it Corey Haim? No, the other Feldman. one. Feldman. Goldman. Right. Which one? No. Feldman. 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 Yeah. Uh, Corey Feldman's the young Tommy Jarvis. And in part six, it's the dude from uh, Return of the Living Dead. So that's all past. So now it's uh, Tina, who is, uh, she's got some psychic abilities. Her dad dies at uh, Camp Crystal Lake, I guess, by their cottage. So not in the campground. So this is a different one. It's not at the campsite, but it's in the, on the same lake, but like side-by-side cottages where teenagers are partying in the cottage beside her. But because of her PTSD with her blaming herself for killing her dad, um, she awakens Jason so he can kill yet again. Um, it's a fun one. Uh, Terry Kaiser's in it. Uh, he's best known for Bernie in Weekend at Bernie's and Weekend at Bernie's 2. Um, so I'd enjoyed this one a lot. Um, See, that so kills me I- because... That yeah. that one when I did like the series review that was like probably my second least favorite of the entire series. Really? Yet it's the one I have the fucking I have a poster of because when I was at a <laughs> horror convention, the guy had like custom art or whatever, and that was okay. one of them. And I ended up buying it, but it's like that's like one of my least favorite of the series. No kidding, I yeah. I, I dig it. Um, I find Terry Kaiser has a face that you just want to punch. I got to watch it again because it's been, I think I made the series review back in like 2012, 2014 oh, or something. Okay. Know, a while ago, but so I'm going to rewatch it. But yeah, he looks awesome with his Bernie's mustache, but yeah. uh, when he shaves it off, he, he looks like an asshole and he plays <laughs> one in this movie. Um, is he dead? I thought, did he pass away? No, I'm not no, sure. No, he's still alive. Ooh, it'd be so cool to meet him. Just yeah. like, like if you've never seen Weekend at Bernie's. It mm-hmm. is a masterpiece in physical comedy because <laughs> it is fucking he plays great. a corpse and right. he plays it so fucking well. Uh, ooh. So I'm on his IMDb page right now and he's known for a guy called Turk in a movie called Six Pack, which is a it looks like a, a NASCAR or a racing film with okay. six kids and Kenny fucking Rogers. Wow. Oh, really? I, from 1982. Okay. PG movie. <laughs> Stopping briefly in a small Texas town, a race car driver finds that his stock car on the trailer behind his motorhome has been quickly and expertly stripped. He chases, quick full summary, he chases on the miscreants who turn out to be six orphan children. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. So six orphans trips down his race car 
and I guess he becomes a dad to them. That's fantastic. Fucking right. Diane Lane's in it. Uh, Erica Gray. Wow. I'm going to have to check huh. that out. I've never heard of this film before. That's awesome. Thank you, Internet Movie Database. Um, <laughs> yeah. So after watching uh, part seven, I had to watch part eight because I have a Jason Dix Manhattan poster where, yeah. it's, uh, where it's got the I Love New York mm-hmm. and a Jason with his knife ripping across it, which I guess was the first version of the poster. But then the people under the who did the campaign for I Heart New York were like, fuck, tear that down. So they had to do oh. a replacement poster. So that's so, weird because yeah, so, I feel like that's the poster I know for the movie. So that's weird. It's not the one that was actually used. Huh. Well, I think it was used and then it was uh, pulled back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I have that poster. So I'm going to get uh, Kane Harder to, uh, to sign that one as well. So I watched the movie and I had not seen. Uh, Jason Dix Manhattan in a long time, mm-hmm. or when I call it on Twitter, uh, Jason Dix a boat ride because right, yeah, exactly. Like like the previous one, this one's different again, where he yep. is on this half shitty, half good boat and kills all the kids. And these are the most eighties kids so far mm-hmm. in the series. You know, you got the one girl who has an amp and a V a V guitar, electric <laughs> yeah. guitar, and she's jamming in the. Uh, you know, in the boiler room, mm-hmm. you've got the princess, uh, Miss, um, uh, you know, homecoming queen mm-hmm. who tries to seduce the the principal who, if you look at her now, looks a lot like Alexa Bliss. So I was really, I was turned on. Yes, I was. <laughs> I, yes, I, I, I got to see it. I got to check it out. Yeah. Um, then you got the guy, you know, who's, uh, who's filming everything. Uh, with the big ass camera, and I don't know. This is very st- stereotypical for this era, like eighty nine, ninety year. You know, um, again, yeah. I liked it. A lot of people shit on this one. Um, yeah, I don't I think, think I've fun. seen. What was that? I said I think it's fun. I think so too, but I've never seen New York depicted so nastily before. <laughs> That's I love it. Like you got these vats of like toxic waste bubbling in the alleyways, you know, um, our, our lead girl, uh, what's her name? Uh, Rennie, you know, she gets, uh, her and a few people get, uh, mugged at gunpoint and then the two guys abduct her and shoot her with heroin so they can rape her. Like, (laughs) holy fuck. This this film gets dark, you know? Um, that said, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot for all its blemishes and all its beautifulness. Um, and then to finish off the week, um, I did. Uh, I watched my fourth film in the films I should have watched already. Uh, like everybody else here watched four movies out of their list already, right? Out of the yeah. 12. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Four Anyways, minus three. Yeah, so so I I watched my fourth film. I actually wrote the review, and it got posted on the twenty fifth of April. Uh, it's "To Live and Die in L.A.", uh, directed by William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist and directed Killer Joe and a whole bunch of other films. Um, this one is in um, set in eighty five in L.A., where William Peterson from CSI Grissom. He is a secret surgeon, a secret service agent who is extreme. He will jump off um, uh, bridges. He'll go headfirst into a gunfight, blah, blah, blah. His partner gets killed as they're investigating a counterfeit money operation uh, headed by 
another creeper performance by Willem Dafoe, which is awesome. Hmm. Uh, he's creepy cartoony in Streets of Fire, but in this one, he's sadistic, but he's also very smart. So uh, his partner gets killed in a pretty graphic uh, way, you know. Um, they don't shy away from gunshot wounds in this film, so it's pretty awesome. Um, so William Peterson is now teamed up with um, John Pankow, which you might remember as Paul Reiser's best friend in Mad About You. <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, maybe um, not. No. My mom so and dad now- used to watch that. But <laughs> so they're now on the uh, on a, on the case of um, getting uh, Willem Dafoe's character, you know, uh, to get him behind bars. But the further they go into the investigation, the deeper they go in the, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? And they kind of cross lines where, like, it really puts a whole case at jeopardy and their police careers as well. Um, it's fucking good. The soundtrack, it was written by the guys from Wang Chung. Um, the LA has never looked seedier yet beautiful at the same time. What's Dayglo aesthetics? And at night, it's neon lit signs really, mm-hmm. um, really cast a beautiful, colorful shadow on the film. Um, there is a beautiful chase scene, uh, like an 80s chase scene in the where, warehouse district of LA that gets to the aqueduct and it's awesome. The whole film is awesome. Also, surprisingly, um full frontal nudity by William Peterson. So if you ever th- asked yourself, hey, is Grissom packing a fucking jackhammer? The answer is yes. That guy <laughs> is hung. So Oh God. So yeah, um uh, so that being said, boys, I love this movie. Yeah, this <laughs> film is fucking awesome. Um, I, I think I gave it like four stars out of five. Okay. Uh, really fucking good. Again, the review came out today. It's on uh, the Instagram. And uh, last one is uh, a movie called The Last of the Finest. Uh, it's a Kino Lober film, which will be reviewed either this weekend or uh, early next week. Um, about a group of cops that are in the elite cop force. Uh, they get too far ahead in their investigation and they get suspended for their reckless actions. Yeah, so they decide to late. all quit their jobs and uh, fight the bad guys as vigilantes. Um, so nice. I bought this because it sounded cool. It's got uh, Jeff Fahey, Joe Pantliango or Joey Pants, uh, Bill Paxton and Brian Dennehy. The movie is the absolute shits. I was so fucking bummed out. It Aww. felt like a Hallmark Channel film. Uh, the guys have no chemistry together. The plot is ludicrous. Hmm. It's just not fun to watch. So I was bummed out. Um, so my review is coming out shortly on this, but uh, it okay. was a piece of shit. So well, that uh, sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's disappointing. I've had a really bad spree of like Kino Lober films that aren't really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you buy all of them, some of them are going to suck. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I've had a few here now that uh, aren't really doing it for me, but life goes on. So that's all for me this week. Awesome. Well, very good week. All right. So let's move over to our review for the week. We will be talking, of course, about Psycho 2. So 
as always, there will be spoilers for Psycho 2 and Psycho. So just keep that in mind because I'm sure we'll talk about both. So if you've not seen either film and care about uh, not having them spoiled, definitely pause the podcast, go watch these films, and then come on back and hit play. All right, Psycho 2, original U.S. theatrical release date of June 3rd, 1983, directed by Richard Franklin, written by Tom Holland of Fright Night and Child's Play fame, which surprised me. I really like that, though. Yeah. It has an IMDb score of 6.4 out of the uh, 19,069 votes, a Metacritic score of 54, a tomato meter score of 61%, with an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 53%. It currently has... That's wrong. Currently has a, a rating on Letterboxd, but I'm not sure what it is because I didn't update that. So uh, excuse my <laughs> ignorance there. Uh, but it had a $5 million budget and a $34.7 million gross. And it clocks in at 113 minutes, which also surprised me. I didn't think it would be as long as that. But mm-hmm. All right. So and just for those interested... It does have a 3.22 out of five star rating on Letterboxd based on the 3,620 ratings. So, Ash, what is your history with Psycho 2? Um, none. <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> I had actually uh, never seen this movie or watched a preview for this movie or anything for this movie. Okay. So. Awesome. And what about you, Mark? Uh, same. I uh, watched yeah. it for the first time this week. Perfect. Yeah, we're all in the same boat then because I knew nothing about it coming in either and never seen it. And actually, I forgot. I actually owned this one on Blu-ray already because it was one of the uh, Scream Factory releases that I actually um, – of the Psycho series that I actually own. So Is that I the one you watched then? It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Were there the any Blu-ray. special features on it? Uh, almost nothing. There was like a 30-minute – like uh, behind the scenes, but it was with like it's supposed to be like interviews, but okay, it was bad. Like it was from like when the film was released, and it was as basic behind the scenes as you get. Nothing good about it at all. Okay, uh, and then there was like TV spots in the trailer, um, and that was it. I don't know if there was a commentary track. I didn't check that, but not. It's not a collector's edition, and it definitely showed. It was not loaded by any stretch. Gotcha. Yeah, mine was bare bones as well. I had uh, no special features, so. Yeah. All right, excellent. So, here we go. Right from the top, I loved that it started out with the old black and white Universal logo. I thought that was a really cool touch uh, because it's the exact same that we would have had from the original film. Um, And then, it's not just going with the logo. It goes into the whole shower scene. It's like an edited version of the shower scene. Um, replayed, and I thought that was uh, an interesting choice. All played in black and white, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that, just for the fact that it's the most iconic scene in Psycho. Yeah, that people watching Psycho two have seen the original, mm-hmm. so them to actually like rehash that footage, I I felt it wasn't necessary. Yeah, I mean, even though it is you know 23 years later, and it's definitely shooting for a different crowd, I would argue than the original just because of when it came out Mm -hmm. even just putting that scene in there it doesn't really tell you anything about it like if they were putting it in to kind of tie in so that you didn't have to see the first one that doesn't that doesn't solve that issue like you still have to have seen psycho to fully appreciate psycho 2 i'd argue i I agree as well yeah and then what was the first introduction of i didn't like it oh i'm sorry ash you didn't like it okay 
it's if they had some kind of recap or something like that, or maybe mm-hmm. like a montage, I could see it. You know, kind of like you know, bring it up to speed, but it was just kind of like, eh. And it's like, it's like where they threw Paramount through um, the final like uh, Spock's death scene from Star Trek Two as like the intro before the credits even of Star Trek Three, because they thought people might not have seen Star Trek Two and wouldn't know what's going on. Like, uh, um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It yeah. it bugged me. Okay, fair enough. Um, and so the, what is the first introduction of color we get? It's the red Psycho 2 card. I really like that. And then the red background behind the silhouette of the Bates home. I thought that was that was very smart. I really like that. Just that infusion of red. Mm-hmm. And then we get introduced to uh, Mrs. Loomis. And I was like, Mrs. Loomis? Like, is this Sam's wife? It, it is, of course. It's actually the same actress and everything. And I, I really liked that. So this, is, of course, is uh, Lila, who was the the sister in the original film that we talked about last week. Um, so that, of course, means that she, you know, married Sam after the first film, which kind of plays to the novel, because that's kind of the direction that that felt like that could have been heading more so than what they did in the film. And so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, when the credits actually rolled, when the film first started, and I saw Vera Miles mm-hmm. uh, on the title card, I was surprised because I wasn't expecting anybody from the first film apart from um, Perkins, Perkins to be yeah. in the sequel. So mm-hmm. I think that was a really nice time. And I thought her character throughout the film worked wonderfully. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was actually surprised. I was, to be honest, I was shocked that uh, somebody else was coming back to the film other than uh, Perkins. No, I was too. I mean, I mean, given the 23 year separation, like, you know, you're right to be shocked. I feel like that was very un- unexpected. And, and it kind of ties up what happened between her and Sam. You know, right. like in, in the yep. in, in the film, they say that Sam had passed away. You know, they married mm-hmm. and he passed away. Yeah. But what happened was when they went to um, make this film, they wanted the actual uh, actor to return as well. Um, if I recall, his name was, because I wrote this down here, um, John Glavin. But he was the American ambassador to Mexico at the time, so he couldn't film uh, any scenes oh. for this movie. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, because if it wasn't for that, he'd probably be in the film as well. Huh. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, And then, obviously, we get introduced to uh, Anthony Perkins 23 years later. And I, was, I just thought to myself, man, he looks significantly older here so he looks those those 23 hard years i thought when i first saw him um you know it just that age that aging was very noticeable what i liked out of his performance is that Mm -hmm. even though he's 20 some years later yeah he still acts like he's that young man (laughs) exactly like exactly I, I, i thought his performance you know uh sandpaper aside from being older um I, I loved him in this film. Oh um, no, he he's brilliant in this. Yeah. I, I I agree. I expected something a little more like grizzled or rough, and yeah. he's still that that little boy. It's like he mm-hmm. he's matured, but he's he has his personality hasn't aged, and right. uh, I I found that uh, really I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. No, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, it was awesome. 
I thought it was there were some genuinely just kind of like creepy moments and and the first one was when Norman is you know about to enter the house for the first time he looks up and and you see the hand moving the blinds of the window uh, I thought that was genuinely creepy obviously you know we find out what's going on later but you know not knowing what's going on it's like wow that was that that creeped me out I really like that that got me mm-hmm and. He's and this was kind of the first spot I wrote down. He's just such a great fucking actor. Like he's so wonderfully awkward with this interaction between him and uh, Doctor Doctor Raymond. Uh, Robert, yeah, Robert L- Logia. Which L- yeah, another great like. Mm-hmm. I- I'm watching these title cards, right? You got Robert Logia, yeah, Dennis Franz, uh, Meg Tilly. I'm like, this is gonna be a fucking awesome movie. So then when yeah. Robert Logia shows up. I was right. like, ah, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's on Anthony's side on top of that. Yeah. Or I guess Norman's side. Uh, yeah, I was very happy to see him because I think he just passed away, what, like last year or two years ago? Oh, I, I didn't realize he, that. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a recent death too, but he's been in so many fucking awesome movies. Hmm. Yeah, 2015, 2015, so it's been three yeah. years now. Yeah, but he's – I see you, you mentioned all these names and they got you excited. Like I don't recognize the names usually – a lot of the time, but the faces I definitely do, and uh, obviously this is a very recognizable face, and I was very happy to see him here. And he does he does an awesome job. Um, and then we get Norman walking up the stairs for the first time. He has that uh, that pretty intense flashback uh, mm-hmm. I, of sorts with his mother, and I was I was wanting so badly for them to use that infamous overhead shot that I love so much. Like as he reached that first step, and I was so disappointed when they didn't. I was like, oh man, but. And- yeah. We get that later. So, well, And just him walking back up to the house is, mm-hmm. you know, without this, there wouldn't be a movie. But there's no way that he would go back to his childhood home in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. where was, the influences of his- I was like, his, no. No way. Not, no fucking way. Yeah. So, so I'm watching this and I'm just, I just don't find it believable that they'd have him move back into where he lived. And where the trauma happened. Uh, yeah. Again, if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have a movie. But th- right. that's like just the one hurdle. I'm like, I don't believe this, you know? See, I didn't have as much problem with that. I had some problems later on with like the police and how they were handling things. But this okay. one, this one didn't bother, that didn't bother me as much. I didn't, uh, I didn't think too much on that one. I thought it was so strange to see Norman Bates, just, you know, who, who we know is Norman Bates go to work as a fucking like cook's assistant at a at a local diner that was just so jarring i'm like oh this is weird um but it i don't know it just puts the character in such a different light and i really like that oh i i guess there aren't too many places that would accept them exactly into their employment you know yeah. And uh, like that lady had said, she had pulled a few strings to get him in there. But, right. Uh, yeah. um, a, a good Christian person would forgive yeah. and forget. <laughs> right. A little yeah. foreshadowing, eh? <laughs> yeah. Um, and also genuinely creepy, watching Norman pick up this much, much younger co-worker and bring her back to his place. I was just like, damn, you fucking smooth talker, you. <laughs> oh, I cracked my shit up. The the thing is though, like he's just so innocent because mm-hmm. really he had no intention of of you know picking her up, you know exactly. He's just doing this out of the goodness of his heart. I know, not knowing that he's you know getting played, right? But uh, 
Yeah, it, it, it's 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 a great foundation. And what's funny in this is that uh, I saw this in in the in, well, I wrote this on my notes here. But Meg Tilly, who plays Mary Loomis, mm-hmm. she had never seen the original Psycho before. Oh, really? So I guess when they were filming this, you know, Anthony Perkins was getting a lot of praise, and a lot of people were like looking him up. And she asked, like, "Why the fuck is Perkins getting all this attention?" Yeah. Perkins got so offended that he didn't talk to her for the remainder of the film shoot. Oh, And had even asked to have her removed, even though she had filmed (laughs) half her scenes already. He was so offended. And apparently this film shoot was her least favorite shoot because of Perkins and the director being so unprofessional towards her. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. But she was just ignorant. But at the same time, if you're going to play somebody in Psycho 2 – you should watch Psycho One. Yeah, but there's uh, different I, schools of thought on that, though. But at the it same be time, self-contained. Too, this is '83, right? So yep. home video is still, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's exactly. new. She might not have been able to see Psycho, but mm-hmm. you would think maybe the Universal would have been able to like show her the film. Right, right. You know, again, I'm not there. Different time, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, she got shunned hard because of her comments, but she didn't know any better. Right. I love that when he gets her back to the uh, to the motel, he reaches for room key number one, like instinctually, and then like forces himself to grab the other one. That yeah, was like very that. cool. That very cool yeah. moment. But I think number one was taken anyways because there's a humping sounds coming from it. Yeah. Well, the key was there at least. <laughs> yeah, but yes. yeah, the key was there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, holy shit, it's the dude from NYPD Blue, which of course I didn't know his name, but Dennis, Dennis Franz. I was yeah. like, oh my God. Like, what oh my God. What a slime ball. I, fucking hated him so much like he like i I, my next note was fucking to me like literally trying to call out a known fucking serial killer like the balls on this motherfucker like what a oh god what a slime ball like you said yeah he played that role really well yeah he, he was excellent at it that's for sure um oh and then uh one of the shots that they use right from the original, and I when this happened, I was just like marking out hardcore. I love this. Um, when Norman goes, walks down the hall and goes into the kitchen, we have that shot that I, I mentioned last week that I like so much right before the shower sequence. And it's you just kind of the 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 frame is kind of filled up with the hallway. And then there's that open in the middle where we see Norman in the kitchen with the light above him. And they use that exact same shot here. And I loved that. I thought that was a very, very good homage. Love that moment. And then we get the scene with uh, Mary and, and Norman, which is just like, ah, God, it was so good. Like it was tense and it was awkward. And like, I like at this point, I'm just already like legitimately wanting Norman to be better. But seeing as there's more films in the series i'm i'm sure that wasn't going to be the case at this point but like i wanted him to be better at this point because i was really starting to to like mary and by as this went on i basically just fell in love with mary because she was great um and then like obviously things happen you find out more things but i was buying what she was selling at this point for sure yeah and that's the thing like i became sympathetic to norman's character mm-hmm. and I did not want him to turn psychotic again. Exactly. Um, I am excited to see what three holds up. Because yeah. at the end, it 
two, you kind of realize where he's at, you know? Yeah. Uh, because really, Psycho 2 is a struggle for his psyche, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when the film ends, you tend to, okay, well, he's at this point in his life now. And uh, so I'm curious to see what three is going to, three is going to hold. But during yeah. the whole two, I'm hoping he can like see through everything and uh, not go down or not, you know, um, revert back to his old self. Right. Um, but I did enjoy <laughs> the struggle that he has with it. Yeah, that's I wrote down a couple notes later. I'm just like, uh, they they do an excellent job of making Norman sympathetic here um, because it looks like he's trying to keep his shit together. But you have these assholes like like Tommy pushing his buttons. I mean, who the hell could blame him? That shit's going to go south, you know, like it's crazy. And then obviously we find at this point, I didn't know the twist, but we find out later there's other people fucking with him too. So it's like how, you know, he never had a chance, but yeah, um, yeah. I thought it was so interesting to see Norman Bates, who we know in the in the sixties, you know, that we know him in that era, the sixties, and he's now with this with this girl from the eighties, and just the different norms, the societal norms at that point. Like uh, what when I made notice is when she like charges into his mother's room, she's like, "You're never going to get over it unless you face your fears." Whatever, he just barges in like that's. Something that we never would have seen in the 60s world of Norman Bates. But now, because we're updating it, we're, we're 23 years later, we have mm-hmm. this. And it was just so, I don't know, there was something about it that was just fascinating to see this, you know, much more in charge and upfront woman that he was dealing with than anything he dealt with previously. Um, and like that made me scared for her when that moment happened, but I thought it was so fascinating. And the fact that he is still set in his ways from the 60s, because I think at one point he goonarms her and tells her to go into a different room or something. Yeah. Or kind of like, see, like, in in the first part of the film, she's manipulating him. Mm-hmm. But then in the second part, he's taken over and she's listening to what he's saying. Right. To a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But she's a lot more uh, maybe obedient to his his words than than he is at first. So it's like the tables have kind of turned on her. The roles have changed a bit by the time the end happens. Right. I think that was one of the things I think is, it was interesting for me uh, watching this though, was as stuff started to happen and, and they were trying to set it up. So we could, we didn't know if it was Norman doing it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, my first thought, my first reaction to that whole thing was, it's not Norman. They're they're setting him up because they build the woman from the first movie. And I can't remember the actress's name, um, but she's Vera Miles, you know, Loomis's yeah. wife. Um, she got this huge billing, and it's like she's barely in this. Something's <laughs> up. <laughs> so I was right. just like, okay, yeah, I'll be the the whole twist threw me for a loop i didn't i didn't see it coming at all but needed to die and i liked it yeah oh yeah absolutely I, I thought i thought it was a great twist so mm-hmm. i'm assuming it it was lila it was her eye in the in the peephole in the beginning right mm, i mean because because there's that scene in the no bathroom. i don't think so i think it has to be norman's real mother oh don't get me started on that that's fucking ridiculous I mean, that's what it's got to be, though, because that's that's who the third person was in the house. I, I suppose so, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I did not like that at all. Well, we'll we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm biting my tongue. 
Um, I love when Norman is it like basically showing her the bedroom. He he also cannot say the word bathroom to Mary, <laughs> just like yes. the first film. Love that. And I also I also love the fact that Mary is reading. She has the the door propped closed with the chair for her safety, and she's reading in the belly of the beast. That's the book she's reading. I'm like, ah, oh, this is just fucking perfect. I love that. I would do the same thing. I, I thought uh, barricading the door was a very smart move. Again, mm-hmm. not knowing exactly what the game is in this film. Right, right. Man, that other waitress was just such an uber bitch for like no fucking reason whatsoever, but she was a horrible human being. You still work here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and can I get my damn food or whatever the hell she says? I'm like, oh, get off yourself. Well, I think it's because she's an older lady. And uh, she's threatened by Mary being in the restaurant because she's now she's not the looker of the book, right. you know. <laughs> exactly. And that she's you know at her age in this small town doing what she's doing. Probably not yeah. the happiest. Nope, she was not happy. Man, when fucking Toomey comes into that restaurant and starts fucking with him, like I I would I wanted to see Norman kill him so badly. Like I just God, he played that role so for well. It. Oh, I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um. Oh, so then Mary comes back and she I thought Mary was just so fucking cute in this film. Like I said, I was just falling for her as it went on. And they set up the shower scene here, much yeah. like they set up the shower scene in the original, which gives us the viewer who have seen both of these the, some expectations. And so that kind of creates tension in itself. And I think that's very smart. Like that was really well done. Um, And then, you know, at this point I wrote down that I was genuinely disappointed to see Norman peeking through the hole in the wall because it means he hasn't really changed. And I hoped he would, but better peeking than killing, I guess. Right. But obviously I don't, that wasn't him because she walks out. Actually at that point, I don't know. It could have been Norman because she doesn't know that the hole's there at that point. And so she doesn't mm-hmm. go to look for him right away. So, I mean, frankly, that could have been Norman. It's possible. But, I, I, yeah, we have no way of knowing. But but do, do you realize that uh, Meg is uh, Jennifer's sister? Are you serious? Yeah, that's uh, that's Jennifer Tilly's uh, sister. I No, I didn't know that. Yeah. From, they don't look uh, anything from... alike. I, like, Meg Tilly looks like she has, like, uh, like an Asian background or something. Well, she looks almost uh, like an Inuit. You know, yeah, that could be, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, they're they're sisters, huh? Fascinating. No, I did not realize that. That's very cool. Yeah, but you get a little nudity here, so we get some of our '80s thrown in. We get some nudity, and obviously, we're going to talk about it as it comes up. But we get a little bit more gore here, so you know, to appease some of that '80s audience and me, of course. So <laughs> there's that. But um, so okay, so then we get our our first kill. So. They do a very a a very purposeful job of setting up Toomey as the one who could have been the one that planted the note because he moves his arm like around that um the spinner while he's there. I noticed that. Um and they set it up as he's the one that can make the phone call because he walks into the build after into the motel after yelling for Norman and then the phone rings. So they do a very I guess I, the other word is purposeful, but they do a very purposeful job of setting that up that it could be him. It's probably as a way to making us understand why Norman kills him is what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I thought that was very interesting. But the kill itself, much more graphic than anything we would have seen in the first film. Um, and so it reminds us that we are, in fact, in the uh, the age of the slasher. Well, and, you know, got to go better, bigger and better in the sequel. Yep, exactly. The uh, There wasn't a ton of blood or anything, but still, you know, just uh, the actual death itself was, you know, just more on screen. So there's that. And it, it's funny, too, with the special effects and at least with the Blu-ray copy I saw, mm-hmm. I knew something was happening to the face as soon as the camera went back to him. Because I'm like, yeah, it was his face fake. looks a little off, right? Yeah, right. And then the slashes happen, like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Yep. See, um, some films are not meant to be watched in uh, high definition. <laughs> right. Man, some of the special fe- – like I said, the like behind-the-scenes special features in this one, it was like the old – what I would imagine you would see on VHS – Oh, yeah, the good stuff. And my God, like, it's just a whole different looking film. Like, oh, sure. Yeah. Just significantly different. Like, don't get me like, I used to watch movies on VHS all the time, but it's just, it's been a while now. And so, like, just that stark contrast of that that quality versus what I see in 1080p on Blu ray is just so notable when you haven't seen mm-hmm. it in a while. Sure. But. Um, and then I was like, oh, shit, she found the people like shit's about to go down. And I just kept wanting, like I, I wanted before knowing the twist, I wanted Mary to get out of there while she still could, because I just felt like her death was imminent and I wanted her to survive so badly. Um, and I, I, when she found the people, I thought to myself, yeah, this is it. Like, Mary, get the fuck out. But of course, that's not the case. Um, fascinating stuff, though. So to me, Norman, he just. Like the again, Perkins is so great. Like he just feels like the guy you meet out in the real world who just has something off about him you, that you can't quite put your finger on, and he just yeah. does that so perfectly. Yeah, he he honestly did not skip a beat from the original film to this one. Um, you know, right. he had some, uh, he did some uh, ad libs on pronunciations of some words. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just. I, I myself, I'm kind of in awe that he was able to just continue this character so many years later. Yeah. Um, because he still has that innocence in him, mm-hmm. but also has that evil as well. And, but the thing right. is, in this film, he's self-aware that he has these impulses or that mm-hmm. it, it's inside him. And he doesn't want that to, to break free. Right. And I just like, as much as I loved his performance in the original. Mm-hmm. I think he's equally great in Psycho 2. No, I, I'm i with you. I'm with you. Absolutely. I agree. Like, he's – it's it's pretty remarkable what he's able to do with this role. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and crazy because it, – Yeah, I, I was actually, like, completely sympathetic for him in this, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, right, up, right up to the end, it was just like, damn, they put him through some shit. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously we've been mentioning the swerve and I think what's so great and what's so fucking fascinating and smart about this movie is that they basically do a complete role reversal in terms of maybe villain and hero and not that Norman is a hero in this necessarily, but just the good guy and the bad guy. Um, my my take on them by the, you know, entering the, the climax of the film. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's just... That's so good. Like, what a an intelligent way to handle this film, where the original is known so much for its twist 
then you kind of take that and kind of put it you do the opposite like i i don't know it's it's fascinating fucking movie um but i'm getting ahead of myself here so there's they they have a absolutely perfect use of the oblique shot uh which is kind of like the tilted camera shot when norman is walking up the stairs to the house because he thinks that he sees his mother in the window after he was painting the side of the building yellow uh which obviously we find out is um mary we find out later but that was just such a perfect shot um i have man I love the use when that when when the obliques is done well, it can be so effective, and I think this is a perfect example of that because it just yeah. lets you know something's fucking wrong. I love that the the way they they went up that way. There's another shot later too, because uh, he's in the attic, isn't he? After that, um, that I, that shot you're talking about, I loved also like that crane shot. Yes, where it follows yes. from the attic out across over the house, so you can see yeah them coming in. Oh. The kids, Beautiful yeah, shot. getting in. Oh, I know. I, I love that shot so much. Um, yeah, I definitely wrote down that one, too. Another another just perfect fucking shot. Um, and that keeping on the shot thing, then we get after the oblique shot, he gets in the house. He's trying to find who's upstairs uh, in the house because he thinks it's mother. That's when we get the overhead shot um, that we had from the original, which I love so much. I just wish it was kind of a more critical moment. Than it ended up being, but still, I was just happy to see that shot in there, that homage to Hitchcock's camera, amazing camera work in there. I love that. Um, and then, yeah, right after that. So this is kind of all one long sequence of just awesome shots. You get the oblique shot, then you get the the overhead shot, and that leads up to the attic, which you get this amazing crane shot where it swoops down and we see the kids breaking into his basement um, to screw around in like the most disgusting place possible. But just what an awesome, awesome sequence. What I thought was interesting was that we got, well, what I thought was him killing, and it should have been a hint for me, but his MO is killing women. Like, yes, he may have poisoned his mom's boyfriend way back when, but really his MO is is killing women. So to see him killing men here, I thought was so different. Um and should have been kind of a hint for me that something may have been amiss. Um, but I, I really like that. It was very interesting. Well, does he kill? He only kills one person in this movie though, right? See Him, I, yes. Him, yeah. yes. But at this point, I didn't know that. Oh, gotcha. So okay, I thought okay. it was Toomey and I thought it was the boy, the little boy. So yeah. Yeah. But yes, you're right. Um. And then, like, I was genuinely impressed by Mary and her willingness to not run the fuck away and never come back. Like, even while Norman is going nuts in the room um, about, like, oh, the room was just made uh, made up. There's a note, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I find out why her she's so willing to go with this. But, like, at that point, I was just like, man, you got to marry her. Like, she's wife material. Like, just do it, dude. <laughs> well, no, it's mostly for guilt. She feels guilty for you know, doing this to, to Norman. I That's what I find she, out later. Yes. Yeah. But now do you think she's got romantic feelings for him? I don't think it gets to that point. No, n- I, no, n- not I, at all. I think it's more of a motherly thing where she feels she's got to protect him now because of what she's done. Yeah. But this, again, when I make this note, that was before I knew all that. Oh, okay. And so I didn't know where it was going to go at that point. But, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so then the cops come to his house and this is one of the parts that bothered me. So 
this this Norman has a history of dressing up like a woman and murdering people. They have a girl in their car who claims that a woman killed her boyfriend in the same house that Norman lives in and murdered people. Like, and they're not immediately cuffing this guy and taking him away. Like, I thought that was very hard to believe. Even you need evidence, blah, blah, blah. Like, th- th- he would have been fucking arrested. Like, that's probable cause enough. Well, I think so, too. And it's the fact that, oh, the, the basement looks cleaned up. Like, right. Why is the basement cleaned up? Exactly. Nobody cleans a basement. At least yeah. a cellar like that with a dirt floor, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mary sticks her neck out, which, again, I didn't know what was going on, but to try to save him, saying that she cleaned it. But, I mean, like, come on, people. Like, the cops are just stupid. Continues the uh, incompetency from from the previous film. But Yeah. Um, I, I was like, uh, even for an 80s slasher film, I was just like, <laughs> no. I'm like, come on. This film needs to be a little bit more intelligent than that. That bugged the crap out of me, too. Yeah, this stupid fucking cop. Um. When I love that line, when when Norman says to Mary, he says, it's starting again. Like, I thought that was just a chilling line. It was perfect. Yeah, Mm -hmm, I agree. (laughs) Such a cool moment. Um, And then we get this this swerve. So I I was like trying to write down something. I think I was trying to get um, Loomis's um, Mrs. Loomis's first name. So I like flipped on to IMDb while I was taking my notes and I look down and it says Mary Loomis. And I'm like, wait, what? And then on screen, literally that second, she says mom. And I was like, whoa, like perfect timing. Thank God I didn't notice that beforehand because I would have ruined <laughs> it. But like perfect fucking timing. Um, and I was just taken aback like, holy shit. Uh, Mary is Sam's and, and Lila's daughter. Like what a fucking swerve. Like I said, I didn't see it coming at all. Um, and that just kind of changed everything up to that point. Uh, so I thought that was very cool. And um, just a yeah, big like, moment. Well, because at first, you're kind of like worried for, for Mary's safety. Yeah, exactly. Because you know what Perkins or what Bates did. Mm-hmm. But at that point, things get reversed. And you're like, you feel bad for Bates for what her and Lila are doing. So exactly. for, for myself, uh, compassion-wise, I did a complete 180. Right. Yeah. I know. That's why I said my next note was like, I'm with it. Like, I feel like Norman is genuinely trying to do the right thing. But again, everyone's fucking with him. So how could he not snap? And that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And then I wrote down, no, but the question remains, who killed Tommy and the boy? It has to be Norman, right? But no, it it obviously is not as we find out. But um, I love that. This is such a cool, like, uh, moment Norman believes that he was the one that killed the kid and he believes he did it while he was blacked out because they find like that bloody rag in the in the bathroom in the toilet in the toilet yeah and he's like oh I you know it must have did it when I um, killed the kid I cleaned up and I put the rag there blah 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 like I just thought that was fascinating because it it, it leaves me in the dark like I was so confused and like my mind was just fucked with so much because i wasn't sure what the hell was happening like who was actually doing these murders what was going on um and that's that's an awesome awesome thing for the film to do for me and that that feeling of of what the fuck is going on continues in the next moment when um there's someone we find we realize that there's someone behind the wall in the bathroom Mm -hmm. and she comes out and norman's downstairs and it's like holy shit like 
I, I'm sold. Like there has to be another person in the house. And so that's why I was like, who the fuck is this going to be? Like, what is going on here? She thinks it's her mom, but I wasn't yes. so sure. I didn't really think it was the mom at that point. Well, I don't think that mom would be peeping at her. Like, why would the mom watch her daughter, why? you know, through the hole? Right. There'd be no reason. Yeah. Then she goes around, gets her gun and tries to find it. And she looks through the other side of the people. And when that eye popped out, I definitely jumped. I was like, oh, shit. That one got me. Look, quick, quick little jump scare. And then we go to that scene. Um, so Norman is, he was searching for the house and then he comes back upstairs and he kind of like locks himself and her in the room that they're in. Mm -hmm. And there's that shot of Mary standing in front of the window and another awesome homage to the original because it's all backlighting. So it puts her in shadow. You can't see anything. Like I was genuinely creeped out because I wasn't sure what the hell was going to happen. Um, obviously she just steps forward and gets into the light and nothing really happens there, but I thought that was a very eerie shot just because I, it left me in, it left, it was very uh, uh, unclear of what was going to happen next. And so it just felt dangerous, just like the entirety of the next scene as well. Yeah. And, and that's what I like about this film uh, up until like the very end. Mm -hmm. It's really not that gory. It's right. just atmospheric and it keeps you on your toes because you're not sure when next twist is going to happen, if yeah. there's another one coming. Mm -hmm. um, so it really keeps you guessing. Absolutely. And like that next scene, Mary wakes up. Like she has to be one of the bravest people ever. She wakes up with Norman Bates standing over her with a knife. And her first reaction isn't to get up running and screaming. Instead, she tries to like let him play it off. Uh, and then she lets him cry in her arms with the knife sitting right fucking there. Like that whole scene was just, again, I'm going to use the same word, was just so dangerous. And I loved it uh, because I was tense throughout the entire thing and well, just thought she was so brave. Didn't Lila mention that Mary was a psych major or something like that? Yeah, that's what that's what she is. Yeah, so exactly. That's the reason why she's able to maybe react differently mm -hmm. than maybe you or I. Right. Because she knows what situation she's in and she's trying not to use any trigger words that would maybe have Bates act upon his homicidal tendencies. Right. Yeah. So, so like at that point, she's using all her training for, to keep calm for Bates and for herself. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the next scene where I wrote down, like we already talked about, but I'll mention it again, just using the names this time. Um, I just found it fascinating that they've successfully swapped the villain and the heroes here. You know, Lila, to me, had bec has become the villain at this point in the film. And Norman, not necessarily the hero, but definitely the one I feel sorry for. And it's I just thought it was- a character. Yeah. Like, man, what a way to pull a 180. Just awesome. Yeah. I thought it was done really well because you're <clears> not <throat> supposed to feel bad for Bates. Right. You know? And uh, he, he really do. But again, I think it's because it's Anthony Perkins. Apparently, when they first offered the role to Perkins, he wasn't too sure about it. So, you know who they had in mind to be cast mm -hmm. instead? Oh, yes. I read it. I read it and I forget. Tell me. I forget. Christopher Walken. Yes, oh, that's geez. right. <laughs> so, can you imagine Christopher Walken as Norman Bates? And it would have been a TV movie. It's only because Perkins said yes that it became a theatrical release. I, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, that would have been very interesting. Yeah. 
I thought it was fascinating that it ended up being a theatrical release, being a 23-year-old sequel. Like, I thought that was very fascinating that it ended up in theaters. Yeah, I'm surprised as well, to be honest. I'm glad oh, right. it, I got a full movie release, though, actually. I was I was reading yeah. on that because I was like, I wonder what the family, you know, Hitchcock's reaction was to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, they the can. family. But, yeah, uh, they were all for it, apparently. So yeah, they're like yeah, because I guess she read the the daughter read the script and she's exactly. like yeah, go for it. He would have loved this. Yep, yeah, that's what I was reading too. I thought that was very cool. The director sent it to her to to get his blessing because the director is like uh, not like a student of, but basically a student of. Like he worked uh, with him in the past on yeah. something or something. Yeah, so very respectful of him and wanted to get well, that a- I- approval. I think he he visited uh, Hitchcock on the set of Topaz, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah, you're right. So, I remember reading that. Yeah. So yeah. I think it was a disciple of Hitchcock. Yep. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, Like, I know Mary was kind of uh, part of the villain team here, but I still was kind of sympathetic to her. Like, I just wanted her to get out of there because it felt like Norman was about to go batshit and murder her at any second. Um, and that terrified me. Like I want, I wanted Mary to survive this so badly, um, and it just didn't see me not so much after the reversal, mm-hmm. um, and especially when Norman's on the phone with Mother, but there's nobody there, mm-hmm. and he's having this one-sided conversation. Yeah. So she then goes and gets dressed up as his mother. Mm-hmm. I at that point I'm like, yeah, you deserve. Everything you get. Now, it was a scary scene because you see like his pant leg and then he disappears completely. Yeah, I love that. And then that. it's silence. Like yeah. that was a truly creepy scene. Right. Uh, right before that is when they, they start, they pull out the car. And again, they pull out a fucking car in the same swamp that Norman put his cars in the dead people. Like how did they not fucking arrest him? Yeah. Oh, that bothered me so much. Yeah, it was weird how they just but, let him go, but she yeah, stayed exactly. to ask more que- to answer more questions. Right, right. Ugh. Um, and then we get the I, I wrote on holy knife through the throat, Batman. Like the the death of Lila was fucking oh, great. My, I love that, dude. That was beyond excessive. I, <laughs> I it, 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 it it stopped me in my tracks. Yeah, it was so like, great. I loved it. Because the film is a little more graphic than the first, obviously. Yeah. And, like, we had Dennis Franz with his little facial scar, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact <laughs> that he just takes a butcher knife and stabs her through the neck via her mouth. Right. Like, she deserved it? I know. That's what I said. Not going to lie. Like, she made her bed. So, this is what you get. But Yeah. But that, that, was, that was fucking harsh, though. Yeah. And this is another one. I, I But it was awesome. It was. Oh, totally, totally. Do you think Norman did this kill or do you think it was uh whatever her name is? I, think I don't it was think it was Norman. I yeah, do I think not it was think school. it was Norman. Me either. Okay. Just making sure we're all on the same page. Honestly, yeah, I- honestly, uh I think Norman only has one kill in this movie. Just yeah. One. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're all on the and same the page. And the sad then. thing is, I think if you know well anyway i'll save it for the later but yeah yeah we're getting real close to it so um like i i there was just so much happening in this movie like so much like crazy swirling around that it was just like fucking with me like i mentioned before like i 
I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. Like I thought for sure that the doc was dead when he was down in that cellar with Norman. And then he walks out and I was like, oh shit. Like I thought for sure he was fucking dead there and it didn't happen. So that threw me. Um, and then it almost felt like Norman was like intentionally fucking with Mary at the end. I, I don't think that was the case, but I thought that's maybe something that could have happened, but could have been happening because he knows nobody's on the phone, but yet this, he, you know, kept saying, oh, mother, this, mother, that. So I thought maybe he was fucking with her intentionally, but I don't, I don't think that was the case necessarily. I think oh, at no, that at this point, po- I think at that point he was broke. He yeah. was, mm-hmm. he was completely, completely. Yeah. Which is a shame because anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, Norman is on the phone talking to his to mother, quote unquote, saying, I can't kill her. And instead of her leaving, she fucking runs downstairs and gets the fucking outfit on like you were talking about. Like, get the fuck out. Like, he's talking about <laughs> murdering you. What the fuck are you doing? That was oh, so ridiculous. But yeah, again, she was trying to salvage his yeah, psyche at this exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, unconvincingly, portraying mm-hmm. his mother. But uh, yeah, yeah that, that was a weird. Uh, was that weird, though? Like she looked weird, you know, dressing up as him or cosplaying right. as his mom. Um, <laughs> reminded me a lot of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, I think, uh, or maybe oh, Part yeah. Three. I think it's Part Two. But um, yeah, it just uh, at, at that point she's grasping at straws, and yeah. that's really her last hope to, to revert him back to self. But mm-hmm. he's too far gone. Yeah, and this, of course, sets up the whole kind of finale basically um where the doc comes from behind and it gets accidentally stabbed by mary and then his death i love that you it, oh. it sets up like it's going to be the same death of the um private investigator in the first film where he's like walking backwards down the stairs but then mm-hmm. he gets like one step down and falls over the railing and then hits the railing and the knife goes in further <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh i love it it's so yeah, crazy it was- it was excessive and yeah. so much fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. But it's too bad because he was—he really was the only guy really yeah. looking out for Ant, uh, for Norman Bates, right? You know, yeah. And you wouldn't have thought so. You think he'd be like a bad guy, exactly? But he was a total good guy. No, definitely. And then Mary, my poor, poor Mary, her fate is not a good one, and it's not the one I was hoping for her. But she bites it, so. Uh, ah, but does she, though? Ah, uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe not. Uh, maybe not, because they don't specifically say that she's dead, so. Well, the, there was an extended scene in the shooting script. Oh, that really? clarified that Mary survived her gunshot wound, but oh. then she went mad because of this ordeal. Oh, so maybe she'll be back. We'll see. I'm not looking at the casting for the next film so i don't want to know but we'll yeah i don't out. think that scene was shot i think it's just it was in the script that she yeah. survived okay. but she went bonkers interesting yeah and then i you know just how the police are handling that like they 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 put it all together that basically it ends with norman being completely innocent which i mean maybe you can put the pieces together that way to make it work but i don't know i thought that was a bit of a stretch i'll say that well, I think the fact that the hotel attendant or clerk yeah. saw both of the ladies yelling right. earlier, yeah, uh, and and he didn't do any of the murders, you know, so right. he technically was innocent. He's mm-hmm. 
he's just in a wrong place at a wrong time. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Yeah. And then we are introduced to Miss Fucking Spool. Garbage. So Norman, turns out, has a mother who also, quote, isn't quite right. Um, which I know, obviously, you guys aren't liking it. Nope. But what I thought was interesting about it was that it legitimately was his mother this time around when we think it's that way in the original. So I, I liked that about it. But go ahead and talk about this twist for you guys. Uh, it, to me, it feels tacked on. Um, again, not seeing the two, like any of the sequels, mm-hmm. but having seen the first season of Bates Motel, to me, Norma Bates is his mom. So now to have this stranger at the end of the film saying, I'm your real mom, you were adopted. Mm-hmm. I thought that was complete horseshit and was so unnecessary. I'm thinking it's going to be necessary for the sequels, but I, I don't know. Maybe. But that's my thought. So we'll yeah, see. M- maybe. But but well, to, to me, I, I'm just like, there was no need to add, oh, but I'm your real mother, Norman. I'm like, uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Ash? Um, I didn't mind it so much. I mean, I think it was after this movie, it was probably overplayed quite a bit. You know, oh, I had the real mom. You know, the, the, it worked for me. And Norman, it's like, the thing that got me about the scene is she couldn't fucking see Norman losing his mind and just bashing her brains in. Really? <laughs> really? I, he poisoned her too, but it's just like, meh, poisoning wasn't enough. Here, have a shovel to the head. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, how could you not see that coming? I mean, come on. But yeah, after everything that they've done yeah. to him, he's just unhinged, unfucking hinged. Right, right. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, it, I, I didn't hate the tw- I didn't hate that addition at all. Um, and I, I like what it does for it. So, and then I like the the scene right after. So the, the murder scene of the mother with that overhead shot again, um, and just everything going on. Uh, like he whistles after he murder after he hits her with the shovel. Like, and I was just genuinely surprised by how that all that played out. And then it kind of takes us back to the beginning again with the dead mother in the bed telling him to open the motel. So yeah. we're right back at the start, which I thought was very cool. Um, and then that very last shot of the mother in the window and Norman at the top of the stairs kind of looking around just fucked up. I really liked that. So I can take that twist because it resulted in something pretty cool, I thought. so. And really, this is the only kill that he does. Exactly. Yeah, isn't your wax in the back of the head and with the, a shovel? Yeah, I think the thing that gets me about it, too, is if... What's her face and her daughter had left him alone. He probably would not have killed anybody ever again. I think he would have been fine. Yeah, yeah I think you. so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because you mentioned last episode that it was something like, "What if she didn't invite him into the room? Would he have even killed her?" And so it's kind of just a lot of what ifs with the series so far, which I think makes it fun. Yeah, he's a product of his environment. Yeah, absolutely. So, excellent. So, that is all I've got. So, um, anything else you guys want to add or should we move on to our final thoughts and our star ratings? Um, just a few tidbits. I went through the IMDb trivia and I found a few things that I found interesting. So, Psycho 2 was shot in 32 days. Uh, was hmm. Again, it was going to be a made-for-cable film, but uh, because Perkins signed on for it, yeah. um, it became a theatrical release. 
the producer of the film actually wanted Jamie Lee Curtis as Mary Loomis. Oh, just wow. Just because of, you know, that uh, awesome. Jim, uh, well, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom was in the first cycle. Right. So that would have been really cool. Um, for the sequel, the original house set was used, but they had to reconstruct the motel. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, and apparently, Quentin Tarantino claims he prefers Psycho 2 over Psycho, which oh. I find interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, so, the writer, uh, Richard Bloch, he published Psycho 2 in 1982, and it had a different premise to the film. In yeah. his book, uh, Bates escaped a mental institution and traveled to Hollywood to stop a production of his life. So apparently It's like a Universal satire Studios- on slasher films, is what I was yeah. reading. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so apparently Universal Studios was so upset by this, they made this movie in retaliation. Yeah, <laughs> which is fascinating because, like, obviously they don't want to yeah, – I'm not sure if releasing a uh, kind of a, a movie poking fun at the hottest craze right now would have been the smartest idea for them. So it yeah. makes sense. And apparently the well, the city of uh, Fairvale uh, was shot on the Universal Studios backlot which was also the same backdrop for Gremlins and for Back to the Future Parts 1 and 2. Oh, no shit. Yeah, and uh, that's all the tidbits I've got. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, have you guys been to Universal Studios at all? No, but I would no. love to one day. Okay. Yeah, I, we were there a couple summers ago, and so we did, like, the tours. We got to see the the Bates house there, and they had, it was yeah. cool. They had this actor who, like, sits behind the thing waiting for the, the bus to run by, and then he, like, runs out to the front and, like, uh, I don't know. I remember what he did. If it's like, waves at you or what, but he starts running, and so it's it looks like a young Norman Bates. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's um, very cool. Yeah. Um, excellent. Yeah. So Ash, what are your final thoughts on your star rating for Psycho 2? Um, I don't know if it's the age or the fact that they kind of flipped it on its head. Um, but I actually enjoyed Psycho 2 more than I'm with Tarantino. I've enjoyed Psycho 2 more than the original Psycho. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. Uh, Perkins is fantastic in this. Um, Meg Tilly just, you know, was really good in this. I thought, um, I liked them kind of, you know, flipping the whole thing on its head. Um, at this point though, in the eighties, I can't forgive some of the really stupid police decisions. It's like, come on, you guys are actually doing a fairly intelligent, you know, slasher thriller here and you're fucking it up. Um, but, it was basically the, the police were only as intelligent as the story needed them to be. And that, that bothered me. Um, but other than that, I like the music. I like the way it's shot. Uh, some of so such great shots. I mean, granted they're mimicking some of the stuff that they did in the first movie, but I think they worked a little bit better here. Um, and, and I liked how they kind of handled, you know, handled some of it. Uh, I didn't like that I saw some of it coming, you know, and I don't know whether it's just because I've seen so many damn movies over the years and and stuff, and it was just like, I, you know, it's like I called it at the beginning, of the, or not the beginning, but like after we hadn't seen the mother for a while, it's like, yep, she's doing this. <laughs> and, and, and so that, but um, I still enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done, and I, I'm glad that they actually got Perkins back for it. Well, I would have loved Christopher Walken, Perkins is the real deal for me. So I give this one three and a half out of four. 
Awesome. So three and a half stars from Ash. So what about you, Mark? What's your final thoughts on your star ratings for Psycho 2? I wasn't sure what to expect with a sequel to Psycho because Psycho isn't really a film that needed a sequel. Um, that said, I really enjoyed what they were able to make 22, 23 years later after the original film. Um, I thought Perkins was a delight, uh, seeing, uh, Verna mile or Vera miles, uh, reprising her role was a treat. Um, I, I, I just, I just really dug it. Um, I, I do prefer the original psycho to psycho two. Um, I'm, I can surmise at this point that I think I'm going to like the films as they, I'm going to rank them as I saw them. So probably like one more than two, two more than three, three more than four. Uh, but I, who knows? Three could knock my socks off. Um, but I thought this was a really good uh, follow-up to the original. Um, it it had some excellent kill scenes uh, or a surprising kill scene, I should say. Uh, um, it had some really cool twists that I did not expect. Um, it did have a shitty ending. I did not like the ending at all. Uh, but I still think it was a good sequel to a great film. So I will give it two and a half out of four stars. All right. So two and a half from Mark. Perfect. Yeah. Holy hell. Psycho 2. It, it fucked with my head a hell of a lot more than I expected. It's as twisty as the original film, but almost in the exact opposite way, which made it fucking fascinating for me. I absolutely fell in love with Mary. She was one of the strongest female leads I've seen in an 80s horror film in a long time. And the addition of her and her mother as a way to tie in the original feel was really cool. Um, Anthony Perkins proves again that he's just a phenomenal actor and he does an excellent job of driving this whole film. Uh, there weren't a lot of kills, but I like that they had that 80s staple of getting pretty brutal when they needed to. Um, you don't watch Psycho 2 for the kills, though. Um, but rather for the story. And at a time where the slasher film was taking over, I can see why this may not be talked about as much as the other big slashers of the same era. That said, it was a much smarter film than I expected, paid excellent homage and respect to the original film, and delivers a really fun couple of hours in front of the TV. I thoroughly enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. So I'm giving Psycho 2 three and a half out of four stars. So there we have it. Three and a half, three and a half, and two and a half. That's a solid film. Mm-hmm. Oh. I still think Psycho 1 should have been in our Hall of Fame, but that's just me. It, 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 it should, but uh, you're going to have to take that one up with Ash, so. I, I don't think I'll be able to change his mind. <laughs> that's all right. All right. And no, just I, like that. For, for Psycho, I, I am the villain that keeps Norman in the nuthouse. <laughs> oh man all right so with that we will call this episode completed so that is our second episode of our planned what six i believe for this arc six, so, yeah. yes um excellent so join us next monday may 7th for our review of psycho 3 from 1986 
And remember, for at least this arc and the next arc, we are doing just our week in media segment and then our main review for the week to try to keep the episodes a little more manageable, uh, both for you and us. Um, but if there is something you'd like to see us add here in the future, please let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Um, like we said before, the only way we can make any changes that you want to see is if you reach out to us. Um, and we'd like to keep those lines of communication as open as possible. So you can reach us by uh, finding us on Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. You can email us at contact@cinefessions.com, and you can even call, even call us at 1-302-448-TALK. So there's plenty of ways to reach us, so please do not be shy. Reach out to us and let us know what you're thinking. And then another reminder, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it is you might be listening. Positive reviews help us reach a larger audience. We appreciate the we appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review and for telling your friends about the show. And Ash, remind our listeners where else they can find you online. You can find me on Tumblr and Twitter at DHGFASHE. Excellent. And how about you, Mark? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mark underscore Nadeau. That's M-A-R-C underscore N-A-D-E-A-U. Or you can also get me on Instagram and on Letterboxd at mnado 2 Awesome. And you can find me on my personal uh, Twitter feed and on Letterboxd under Simon1. That's P-S-Y-M-I-N-1. All right. We want to say thank you to everyone for listening to episode 128 of the Cinefessions podcast. And remember, in film we trust. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.